0: I think the best way to help you wrap your thinking around the section of the Lord's Prayer we're covering today is to see it this way. If prayer is a journey, then today is about the guidance system, the navigational tools. Take a minute and answer this question. What is driving you right now? What are the big issues, goals, or passions that drive you? Just take a minute and and think about that. Now, I know we're in church, so you think the right answer is Jesus. But what are the real ones? And if you could turn those things into a prayer list, what would that list look like? What would be the things that you'd be bringing to God that you'd like Him to care for? What you are committed to, determines what you pray about. And in Jesus' school of prayer, there are three things that we are to be supremely committed to. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we get those right, then those will direct effectively what real prayer is. Because ultimately, we pray about what we're committed to. F.B. Myers, who was a contemporary and a friend of Dwight L. Moody, late 1800s, early 1900s, tells the story of traveling from Dublin across the Irish, Ireland, <laughs> it's one of those days, the Irish Channel to Holyhead Harbor. And it was a moonless night, so it was pitch black. This particular harbor was surrounded by rock cliffs, And hidden rock ledges on your way in. And so he asked the captain, how do you know where you're going? And how will you get safely into the harbor? And he said, well, just look out. You see those three lights out there? In the darkness, he looked, and three distinct lights became very clear. And he said, all I have to do is line those three lights up. When I get in the right position where those three lights become one light, I follow that light into safe harbor. I think these three ideas to which we are to commit ourselves. We started last week by looking at our Father in Heaven, that prayer is about relationship, the community of God, together, not just individually, in the presence of God, that access to Him as Father made possible through Christ. And now we learn that the next part of prayer that flows out of that is being committed to our Father's priorities. So think of these as three great lights. We get those right, we line those up. We pray right, we live right, and ultimately, we will find safe harbor. Let's look at the passage again. It's Matthew chapter 6. I ask you to turn there with me. And again, I'm going to begin reading at verse 5. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray again. Potter, Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' school of prayer. And we, like the first disciples, ask you, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, Father, so that we might know who you are better, we might follow you better, we might pray according to your will, And ultimately, you will be glorified in all. And so, teach us, Father. We eagerly wait in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at these three commitments. And the first that we come to is, I commit to your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is not just King James for holy. Did you know that? What it actually means is to make or treat as holy first and foremost my life's passion is to bring god glory to set his name apart there's this powerful verse in isaiah 26 8 let's say it together yes lord walking in your way we wait for you for your name and renown are the desires of our hearts in other words my passion the desire of my heart, the thing that I want more than anything, is God's name and God's renown. How would it transform what you're worried about if you recognize that your business is to make God famous? It's been a while, but periodically I come back to a season in my family's life that preceded the birth of the Journey Community Church. It was a very dark season, and what's the nature of your prayer when you're in a difficult circumstance? Yeah, help, (laughs) deliver, relief. (laughs) But when my first passion is for God to be made famous, that ought to alter how you deal with difficult circumstances. And we found ourselves wounded by people that we had committed ourselves to, we had loved, we'd ministered to, and uh, felt betrayed, and were in a very, very hurt place. I recognized that I had two paths I could take. One path was to take care of my reputation and fame, to fight to correct the the lies and the misunderstandings, to go to battle for those. Or I could make decisions that sought God's glory above everything else. And... We committed that very first hour together, Vitt and I, even as we were weeping over the pain, to making a decision that would, above everything, not just not harm the name of God, but bring even more glory to Him, inasmuch as we could be responsible for that. With that in mind, we walked away, we trusted God, we chose not to fight the battle. And I can tell you, first of all, not only do I have a a clean conscience about our actions during that period, I know that God was honored. People have made observations about how we acted during that period. But look at what God has done out of it. A wonderfully powerful thing. It is never the wrong decision to be guided by the desire that whatever you do, in the most difficult or in the most prosperous of circumstances, That it's not your fame, or your comfort, or your health, or your wealth that we're after. What we are after above everything is God's glory and fame. Amen? All right. So now the second area that we are to commit to is God's kingdom. Now, in the fall, we did a whole series on the kingdom of God, so you can go back and go through that sermon series. We think of it as a very important one for where we are as a church right now. We've come through four years that had a vision of planting and beginning a church, and now we are staying true to our core of who we are, but trying to capture new vision that will push us forward into the next phase as a church. And we believe it's all about the kingdom of God, the spreading of the kingdom of God. When we think about your kingdom come, the first thing that we're praying about is for Jesus to return, because our idea of the kingdom is Jesus coming and establishing a physical reign on the earth. But what we learned through that series and what just a casual read through the Gospels and Jesus' idea of the kingdom is that the kingdom is both something that the Bible says will come in the future in full, but the kingdom of God is right now on planet earth. The biblical word for kingdom is Basileia, and it's not a geographical region, it's the act of reigning. When Jesus began his ministry by reading and declaring the coming of the kingdom of God, saying, this has been fulfilled in your presence, he was announcing that the kingdom had come. So how is the kingdom here now? This is it. Wherever Christ reigns, there is the kingdom. As Christ reign in your heart, there's the kingdom. As we bring justice, as we bring the reconciliation work of the gospel to culture around us, and more and more people come under the reign of God, we are extending the kingdom. The Great Commission is about bringing the gospel of the kingdom to every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. When we say, your kingdom come, we're actually praying three things. The first thing I'm praying is, Lord, expand your rule over my life. God, I am committed to you increasingly mastering me. That's what the Bible refers to as sanctification. I come to Christ, I'm forgiven, but I'm not perfect. And I won't be perfect till I'm in glory when this corruptible puts on incorruptible, as Paul writes. But there's a process of growth and sanctification that occurs. And God roots out those areas in my life that I still hold control over. Simple way of describing sin, the areas in my life that I rule. So when I say your kingdom come, what I'm saying first of all is, Lord, expand your reign right here in my heart. Root out my selfishness. Have your way. Be king of my life. The second thing we're saying is, Lord, extend your kingdom through me. When Jesus sent us out, he sent us out to extend the kingdom. The gospel from the time of Christ right through the whole book of Acts was always about extending the kingdom of God. Where people come to Christ, the rule of God is extended. And when we say, Lord, your kingdom come, we are committing to the extending of his rule through us. Our life is about bringing the redemptive work of Christ Christ to the world. And the third thing we're praying is, Lord, I expect you to come back. There will someday be a consummation. You will return in glory. Finally, a new heaven and a new earth, and you will reign forever and ever. And I'm living right now like that could happen today. How many of you have ever expected company and they came a day earlier than you were planning for them? Anybody ever have that happen? Yeah, we did i got to tell you, we work hard around that house, but there's one state that we're productive in as a family, and then there's a state when we have company. And they're two very different looks. (laughs) How would your life look different right now if Jesus were coming tonight? When I say, your kingdom come, I'm saying, I'm ready. I'm committed to your kingdom. So, I'm committed to your name. I live to bring fame to you. I'm committed to extending your reign on this earth. And then finally, I'm committed to your will. Now, one way to look at this is that when Jesus says, your kingdom come, the next phrase is his definition of what that is. What does it mean that the kingdom of God comes? Well, his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. But let's look at this as a unique area of commitment as well. What does it mean to commit to God's will in my life? That's where the rubber meets the road. Most of us have one set of commitments that we articulate when we're in our spiritual community. We're getting ready to come to church or to our Bible study or to youth group. We grab our Bible and our Jesus jargon. We show up and we know the answers and we articulate the answers and we mean the answers then we go home, we put our Bible down, put aside our Jesus jargon, and then we live a very different type of life. that life is about our will, not God's will. What I want. And our prayers are very much about our will, not God's will. When I come to God and say to him, Lord, I am committed to your will. I am praying, first of all, Lord, you are God, and I am not. (laughs) You are God, and I am not. Rather than praying to assert my will on God, I'm surrendering to His will, even before I bring my requests to Him. And the only way I can do that is by praying further, Lord, because you're God and I am not, I want what you want when I'm praying, Lord, your will be done, what I'm saying is, Lord, I want what you want, not what I want. That leads us to a third idea. Lord, take my requests. I'm praying them as best as I can. All I can do is see what I think would be the best in this situation and honestly bring it to you and ask you for it, but Lord, I'm asking you to take my requests and do what you know is best. The hardest time to submit to God's will in this way is in those difficult circumstances. Our knee-jerk prayer when we face different circumstances is relief and change and healing. And then we get bitter with God because He doesn't operate according to what you want. Yeah, sometimes God heals, and yet sometimes people die. Sometimes good, godly people die from cancer. We say when God doesn't answer our will, where are you? And if God really had our ear, He'd say, I'm right here. I've never left. I'm in this moment, and whether you see it, or understand it or not, I'm acting for the good. There is a greater good in this than just surviving in this life. There is an eternal life, an eternal purpose. There is a greater glory. There is an ultimate healing that's called heaven. Now, here's the hardest thing about embracing that idea we believe we understand what the path to joy is when we face a hard circumstance. The path to joy is relief, healing, provision. And we also assume, wouldn't that be the path that would bring God the greater glory? It's a win-win. God gets famous, I get comfortable. Why wouldn't that be God's greatest plan? Because God can shine most gloriously through His saints, And throughout history, I would say, that bears truth. And I have watched people in this very congregation have God shine most gloriously through them when life doesn't turn out the happy ending. When there's still faith there, when there's still joy, when there's God still in there, God gets the greater glory. Even Jesus had to model this. In Luke chapter 22, you know the story. Jesus is praying before the cross He's in the garden, and Jesus, who is the God-man, we have this glimpse of his humanity when just before he was arrested, he cries out to his father, Potter, Father, is there any way, is there any other plan? Is there any other way that you could remove this from me? But then even Christ, the one who trusted and knew his father ultimately, And had every right to ask God for what he wanted. Ultimately had to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. I think when the writer of Hebrews was writing the 12th chapter, he's invoking this image of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Chapter 11 is what we call the hall of fame, of faith all the great heroes and heroines of the Old Testament Scripture, some of whom experienced great victory and great miracles, others of whom faced famine and persecution and the sword, and whatever path it was that God had chosen for them, they all were faithful, and in doing so, they made much of God. Then the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then he goes on and says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Think about this, Jesus is the ultimate navigational point for the Christian. He's the one ultimately that we keep our eyes on in order to stay on course to stay true to God's purposes, God's passions, and find safe harbor. But then he goes on. Listen to what he says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was it that made Jesus in the garden about to face the greatest anguish, a weight so great you and I can never comprehend it, carrying the weight of sin, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How could Jesus submit to that and say, Not my will, but yours? Because he knew it was the one path to true and glorious joy. It was the only path to true joy. We are to run with endurance the race marked out for us, which means in the same way Christ submitted to the will of the Father for the joy that was ahead of the suffering, so we submit to the will of the Father because we know ultimately it's the only path to joy. Sometimes the will of the Father is great provision and miraculous healing, and sometimes the will of the Father is death. Sometimes the will of the Father is pain, woundedness, betrayal. Sometimes the will of the Father is to take us through the valley of the shadow of death. And when he calls you there, he never promises that he'll give you what you want. But what he promises is that he'll be with you in the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you are with me. He doesn't save us from going into the fiery furnace. He's the fourth man in the fire with us. He doesn't keep us from being thrown into the lion's den. He's the angel of the Lord in the lion's den with us. You see, God promises, I'll be with you. I'll work for the greater good in your life in it. And in the end, there'll be joy at the end of that path. And the reason why we can embrace that is because He's not just Almighty God, Yahweh, whose name cannot be mentioned, who exists beyond the veil, but because He is Abba, Potter. He's Father. He knows what it takes to transform us and what He's after in our life and life circumstances. I can tell you what I know, one thing God's will is for you. It's not your comfort, it's your character. Is ultimately after your transformation into his glory so that your life brings fame to him. When we can get that, we can see any way he answers as miraculous. We can see his good in it. We never put him on trial because we never lose sight of him in any circumstance. And when we never lose sight of him, we run with endurance and perseverance. And at the end of that, there's joy. Very powerful thought. I spent a lot of time today talking about the difficult circumstances. And I don't want you to think for a minute what I'm suggesting is God never answers prayer miraculously. Of course he does. Of course he does. But here's the thing. Every answer to prayer is miraculous. If it's to stay the course and endure, that's miraculous because God's going to give you the endurance if you look for him. If it's deliverance, that's miraculous. And no matter what path it is, conduct yourselves in such a way that you make much of God in it. Because that's His will. Let's wrap it up. If I were to summarize this section, this is what I would say Prayer realigns our priorities with God's. Jesus talks about three priorities. The first is living to bring God fame and glory. Hallowed be your name. The second, Living to extend God's influence. Your kingdom come. And third, wanting what God wants. Your will be done. What I'm going to encourage you to do this week, what would it look like if your prayer just focused on these three alignments? What if this week, this was the nature of your prayer? Lord, help me bring you fame. Lord, help me push forward your kingdom and extend it. And Lord, I want what you want for me. I'm willing. I'm looking and waiting for what you want. Right? Let's pray together. Father, this is very much a game changer when we think about prayer. There's nothing new here for Christians. We know we're called to take up our cross and follow you. We know that we face hardship and it works for joy in our life. There's nothing really new here except... For some of us, seeing it as what focuses and aligns our prayer life to your will. And so Father, I pray in that sense it will be revolutionary and will transform us, that we would seek that your name would be hallowed and famous, that we would seek that your kingdom would come in our lives and through us to the world around us, and that we would surrender to your will knowing that that's always the right choice, that's always the best choice, that's always the path to joy, and we need to trust Daddy. He knows what's best. I could think of the change of hearts and attitudes and lives that would happen this week if you gave us the gift of focusing and letting that change our hearts, and I pray you'll do that in all these lives. In Jesus' name, amen.